What's happening in the canine industry? For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Hey, it's been a while since we talked about our old mate, Jason Furman. Uh, has he paid his bills? He has paid his bills. Oh, okay. So we should record him a new ad. Surely he has a website now? Uh, no, he does not. Oh, uh, maybe he's provided a direct phone number people can order through? Uh, I'll just check. Nope, no phone number either. I like the way that you're actually pretending to look whether he has provided <laughs> <laughs> So if you want to get in contact with Jason, you still have to do that through Facebook. It's uh, Einswick Dog Quip, E-I-N-Z-W-E-C-K. Jason can hook you up with all the things you might be interested in getting, the Firepaw Mills, which a lot of people are getting and loving. Mm. He has Herm Springer products, if you're into those. Yep. He has balls, leashes, tugs. Yep. And at the moment, he has a 10% discount on all Canine USA products. That's pretty cool. And I believe he's got a lot of the other stuff that you can use to compete in GRC as well, such as the sleds and the mm-hmm. spring poles. Yeah, that's correct. He yeah. sure does. Well, that's so great. That's a sport that, taking the world by storm. Yeah. So if you're into that or you just like training your dog, having a good time, have a chat to Jason on Facebook at Einswick Dog Quip. Yep. Send him an inventory via Messenger and get your gear. <laughs> <laughs> get a website, Jason, you bozo. Yeah. Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Glenn Cook, and joined in studio is not my regular co-host and international person of mystery, Bertie Oshidi. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome, Bertie. Thanks again for joining us while Pat's overseas being a man whore. Oh. <laughs> well, last time I've spoken with him, he has a beautiful time, so thank you so much for having me. And I know I will never measure up to the new pad, so I'm just going to be me. <laughs> well, I don't know. I think there's people out there who have told me on times gone past that they prefer the sexy voice of Bertie Oshidi to Pat Stewart. This oh, is, this I is find why it hard to believe, but I'm, <laughs> I'm just going to, you know, I think I do me, Pat does him, so I'm just a guest today and I'm going to really enjoy it. And also, sorry for my cough and my hoarse voice, so it might be a different experience today. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fine. That's good. So what I did want to do quickly before we kicked off is wish Pat a very happy birthday because it's his birthday at the moment and he's celebrating that while he's overseas. Yes. Happy birthday, Pat. Yeah. Happy birthday, mate. Hope you're having a great time over there and we're having a great time over here. Yep. What I did want to do also before we officially start the show is tell some exciting news on something that we've been discussing over the last month or so. Yep. And I'll tell you how it came about. Bertie did her bravery workshop and she was here at Dural and she was very kind enough to include Narelle in on the workshop and Narelle was discussing her natural therapy side of things and diet and relation to behavior and it generated a lot of interest and during that time Bertie and Narelle were inside and we were all having a coffee and there are a lot of questions floating around about the psychological side of things 
the natural side of things like the feeding and how diet affects behavior and how diet affects the body and in relation to health going forward and also on the actual behavior of a dog. So the three of us were sitting down. I think we were having drinks or dinner at one stage and we sort of said, why don't we combine a workshop? all three of us. I think it was your idea, Bertie, at the time. It was the feedback. Like you you were attending. I was really, 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 really honoured that you came to the workshop and had a look what I do. And I think people just gave me feedback because I had feedback forms. And in the feedback forms, it was said a few times, hey, why don't you all three do something together? And then we started talking about it because I think it's so nice that we can play, we three can play it out and Mm. we can do, you know, all have a specialty and bring it to the table. Yeah, I really liked the idea of it. I thought it was something that hasn't been done before no, and it's unique. So I think that what we're planning on doing is going to be a first of its kind, that it encompasses everything. It encompasses the mind, the body and the behavior side of things, which effectively is what we're basing our workshop on. So at some stage, we're going to sit down and further plan this and then we're going to put it out there for dates. So if you're interested in talking to us further about it, we will look to do this nationally and who knows, maybe beyond. You never know. (laughs) I'm keen for anything and I think it's so cool. Like I'm really excited because it was so nice having Narelle there. Like I felt so privileged to have her there because she's such an expert in her area and it was so nice to have a really knowledgeable person talk about that. And then I know that, you know, you were my teacher in the NDTF course. I know that I love the way you teach and how you show things. So I think it will be just so good because we have experts in all three fields and we can come together and help the dogs and the dog owners. All right. Now it's my turn to hold your pocket and tell you that I thought the Bravery Workshop was absolutely fantastic. It was what a lot of people in this industry need. Especially considering that a lot of people don't realize how close to burnout they are. I talked about this not long ago prior to, I put a message up, we've talked about this on the show, but I did put a message up just saying that I was really struggling with how much work I was doing Mm. and it got to a point where I really wasn't enjoying much at all. It wasn't depression, I made that clear, I was saying to people I wasn't feeling depressed. I know what depression feels like. Unfortunately, I've had I've dabbled in that before, which wasn't pleasant. It wasn't depression. It was just pure fatigue. And pure fatigue can lead to depression and it can lead to other problematic areas. And there's a lot of people that are doing the same sort of thing. They're setting up a small business. They're very challenged and stressed by everything that's going on. Not only do they have to go out and train the dogs, but they've got to do all the bookwork. They've got to do all the appointments. They've got to do all the follow-up. They've got to take the complaints. They've got to take the queries. So there's a lot mounting on just that job alone. And I mean, I know that you're no stranger to that, Bertie. You're, no, like, you're, I'm you- a very slow learner in that department, unfortunately. I mean, now I'm pretty good, but... And I think that's, we'll also talk a little bit about the topic today, why mm. the topic today is so important, because this topic that we're going to talk in a second is a major reason why people burn out. Yeah. And that's something that I guess we need to focus more on and probably look for the telltale signs of why it's occurring, how it's occurring, and how to start putting systems in place to be more fundamentally aware of it. And it's the same thing for me. I mean, even today... The whole week I've been highly stressed because we're doing some really exciting things at work. We've got a lot going on I can't talk about right now, but it's upped my workload considerably. Mm. I don't mind that because I can cope with it, but I need downtime and I need to know when to say when. And that's an important thing for a lot of people is 
is making sure that you do have a concept of when things are getting too stressful for you and being able to speak up. And that's what I really loved about your workshop was because you were giving people active tools for them to know when things were getting too stressful, how to identify what it looked like and how to almost bring themselves into a point of meditation by dropping their anchor. And I liked it. I really liked what, what it stood for and how it helped a lot of people in our industry because- We've talked about this again in another show, but the dog industry really seems to get people highly emotional and highly stressed. Mm, Um, It is. And it's why I like having you on the show because it seems to bring about balance and education for people when they're at that time in their life. Thank you because, you know, this this is a real core mission of mine because I would like that people know more about stress management and how they can help yourself and and tackle some of the myths that they have around it and also making them aware, hey, you know, if you're not well, your dog won't be well either, your business won't be well either. And I, unfortunately, in a position that I can talk about this because I have done it wrong. I've tackled it mm. the wrong way at the beginning of my career. Yep. So now I had to pay the price for it. And now I'm thankfully at the other end. But my business looks very different now than I thought it would be. And it, it's also about having the values in place that you know what your values are, what you need as a human to be okay in life. And that might be really different to your neighbor or to your colleague, but that you also have to bravery to stand up for that. Yeah. So, you know, like um, I'm trained as a clinical psych. Most of my clinical psych colleagues, they have huge practices where they employ 10, 20 people. They, they work a lot. That's not what I do. I'm a one-man show. I love it that way. I do high-quality work. I have great outcomes. But I like my independence. I like that I can set my own hours, that I can do dog stuff on the side. But that's me. I'm the only person I know who does dog stuff in psychology at the moment. So you have to also have the courage to do that. And I hope that people at the workshop learned it's okay to be you. It's okay to follow your values. Because I think society puts so much pressure on people at the moment. And people are really all the time feeling they're not doing enough or not good enough or mm. then then when they get in their cycle they actually lose track of where they have to put energy so yep. like you lose track of where you have to put effort in and where not and you know the feedback of the workshop was amazing like I we had over 30 people attending and I love that the group was so diverse we had trainers from all sorts of backgrounds we had experienced trainers young trainers groomers we had vet nurses and it was just such a nice environment. And, and the feedback forms, people really took a time. They very often wrote two or three pages. They loved it because they said it's so nice to talk with other people. Mm. And it was, I tried to create a safe environment, but at the same time, help them with stress management by also increasing their stress levels during the workshop with certain exercises and coaching them through it. So it's a very hands-on workshop. One thing I really liked about it, Bertie, was there was wonderful energy in the room. You were very well prepared for what you were talking about. You spoke with clarity and you spoke with passion. And before we turn the mics on, there was one thing that you and I were just talking about, which I know you included to quite a degree in your workshop, and that was about authenticity. And we just literally, just before we've turned everything on, you and I were sitting down about how hard it is to be authentic in this day and age. And I find that that is one of the things that that really zaps the energy from people. Yes, it is. All the masks and all the... Yeah, I feel that you've just got to be so guarded and so careful and so strategic about your conversation that you can't drop your guard. Sorry, you can do that, but people feel that they can't. And that's what you were discussing with with people is that 
not that they have to go out and speak their mind with everybody, but how to deal with that in a better way that when you're feeling so intense that when you've when all those emotions are really stacking down and weighing down on you, that you have a coping mechanism to stop, breathe in for a little bit, drop your anchor, regather your thoughts, think about alternate strategies and then work within. And yeah. and I loved it. I really did. I love the message. I love the way I could see a change in the way people were in the room. I could see when they first came in, you know, you could see people that were stressed and were weighed down. And I really believe that they felt they got the meaning of the message. I hope so. And I, I hope so because... It's not therapy in a can. Sorry to interrupt. It's not therapy no. in a can. It's not like you weren't implying that it was an instant fix. It's like with dog training. It's the same concept. It's like playing a musical instrument. You have to work at it. You have to spend the yes. time there to make it sound and to make it appear um, that it's actually working. You have to put the time and energy into doing it. And and that's the only way that people are going to get results in things. It is. And I think I so the concept of the workshop is also set up like a dog training class, like the exercises are very similar to what dogs would have to go through. Because in the end, I do want that the dogs benefit from us being less stressed. You mm. know, like I want that it has a flow on effect and, and I can't give people recipes. You have to find out what works for you because you and I are so different, you know. And I, I'm, I'm really, I'm a bit, I'm blushing here because it's so nice when someone appreciates the work you've done into it because, you know, it's such a unique concept. No one else is doing it. So you're constantly thinking, am I doing the right thing? Should I do it differently? Everyone has a different opinion. So um, thank you for your feedback. Oh, pleasure. I really enjoyed it and I'm glad I came to it. To be honest, it's in part you're one of the reasons why I started writing a book. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's it's been in me for a long time. It's different than – it is about dogs, but it's also about – it's about you and your relationship with yourself mm-hmm. um, impacting how you would be a better dog owner by getting that shit sorted out first. In part, it's a story about my own life and the things that I've had to identify with and how I've impacted – dogs in the past by not being my entire self, if that makes sense. Yeah, we've all been there. Yeah, so people like you and Lofty Fulton, who wrote a book about himself. Great book. Honestly, I didn't feel brave enough to to put it into words. And now I started, when I was on holidays recently, I started putting things into words. And it was, it's a little bit vulnerable when you start talking about yourself because then you're thinking, do people really want to read this? They do. I read, I, I mean, you, I was allowed I to have- I shared you the first I, chapter, yes, yes. And yes, we do want to read it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, but it, but it's true. It, it's, it is a vulnerable place. Mm. And my friend, um, Rachel, she's a really wise woman and she writes a lot and she's told me, if there are no tears in the writer, there are no tears in the reader. And so, so, you know, you will, what you put in in emotions is what the reader will get out of it and it's worth it. Yeah. That first chapter really took me a lot to, I actually had to walk away from it quite a few times to come back to it. Yeah, Um, I can see that. It was an intense session and I struggled a lot, to be honest. I was actually quite fortunate, uh, myself, Narelle and, and several other people, we went out to dinner with Helen and Lofty and prior to Lofty releasing the book, which is doing fabulous, by the way. like It's such he's, a good book. It's such a good book. And Lofty is getting the, the notoriety he deserves. He's a wonderful man, very generous, very loving. He's a beautiful human being. And I really appreciate both Helen and Lofty. Not only is he the voice of our podcast, he offered to do that for us. He was very supportive. When he read that to us, 
when we were at dinner, I don't think there was a, a closed mouth at the table. I think everybody was just sitting there with their mouth open, wow. like listening. It was so captivating. It was Lofty's got this amazing voice. Like he really has a beautiful voice. And you could tell the passion and just the impact of things that happened to him in his life. And he was really, really authentic in what he spoke about. I mean, when you talk about bravery, being born with dwarfism mm-hmm. and being picked on so intensely through his life, and able to come through that the other side and tackling all the problems that he did and falling into deep depression and being able to struggle through it and finding the love of a very supportive and beautiful person like Helen helped him put together the words that described what he was going through. And I think that if people read that with the intent that Lofty put it out, I think they'll find it very helpful and very therapeutic. And it was such a privilege to have that shared with. And as I said, it was it's people like him that helped me find the courage to do it myself. Because, I mean, for the last, I think, 10 years that Narelle and I have been together, I've been talking about writing a book. And Narelle's saying, are you going to start that book? Are you going to start that book? <laughs> and I was sitting in the Maldives and we were sitting inside one day and I was at the computer tapping away and Narelle said, what are you doing? I said, I've started the book. Oh, wow. that's yeah. She's so supportive. So supportive. I love your wife. I know you do. I'm, I'm always so worried much. that if she leaves me, it's going to be for you. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I wouldn't worry about it. I'm very happily married and so is she. (laughs) But no, she's a very special person. She is. She is such a gem. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I'm very lucky. And, you know, it it was so nice also that when you have friends, when you do the first workshop and you put your heart and soul into it, like you with your book, Mm. you're very worried about the feedback. It was so nice when you look in the room, you have friends there who give a smile back or, you know, and it was so nice that I knew I'm here and I'm at the end of the day, no matter what happens, people will be there for me, you know, and I think that is so nice. And I think I wanted to thank you for that because it's really good. Absolute pleasure. I I was, as you know, I've been to a lot of workshops. I'm very supportive of them. Um, I I try and encourage genuine people. I believe that people who do workshops are artists and I believe that uh, they put a lot of heart and soul into it. Um, I've been to a hell of a lot of dog industry workshops and a lot of business ones as well. Some have been great, some have been not so great. And usually when I find that people aren't really preparing and don't really, they're sort of doing it for the wrong reasons. They're they're doing it more of a monetary thing than they are doing it because they believe in what the message that they're putting through, the education that they're giving to people. Like, And one of the things I liked about you and many of the other people that I've been to is authenticity and absolute passion and a real take-home message. Like there's, there's a lot for people to to go home and think on what what was just given to them. And when I can see that people have given everything, like they really have, that you can just see they they look like a a used tube of toothpaste afterwards. (laughs) They just look like they've been squeezed dry of everything out, out of it. Even when you finished yours, you were so exhausted. I was. I was so glad my husband Dan was there because he picked me up and he was helping me and, mm. and you know, had friends there. And um, it's true. You do give everything, you know, and I think yep. other people do too. You do too. Like, mm. you know, when you do your NDTF. I'm completely exhausted after NDTF. Like, I can barely speak because, as I say to all the students, and I know you did this on your workshop and I know Pat's doing it with his and many other people that are um, fabulous industry experts, you give so much of your heart and soul and you're so passionate about it that by the time you're finished, you, you are mentally and physically depleted. 
there's been times at lunchtime where I'm doing NDTF where I actually don't even come in to eat. I set my stopwatch and I go and lie in the chair and snooze for an hour so I can I can regenerate and get back to it so I, I don't miss anything and don't skip things that I find are really important. I need my brain to be working and I need to make sure that I'm giving everything I've got. And I feel that when I watched you, you gave everything you got and I saw you just fall into a heap at the end of it when everybody had left and everybody had gone and and you'd said all your goodbyes. I could just see you go, oh. Yeah, it was a bit like that and it will be like that. That's just how I am. My my supervisor, he always says, can you just stop giving 110? Can you just give 70? And I'm like, you know me too well. It's that's not, not going to happen. It's, that's unfortunately how I am. But um, but it's even when you come and do the podcast with us. Like I can tell how excited you are and how nervous you are to sit down in the chair because you're like you believe in your in your topic and believe in giving people a message so much. That's, I mean, seriously, that is remarkable. Well, let's see what it comes out of today. <laughs> Speaking of, we've we've rambled long enough. I'm often accused of being a, a rambler. So, what are we talking about today? So, at the workshop, this was a very first experience to me, and I did not know how to handle it. Yep. I gave people a choice of engaging in an exercise and the exercise was around the word no. Mm. And the exercise was that people had, they learned how to drop their anchor and the goal of the exercise was that they assertively could tell a person, please don't approach while staying calm and relaxed. Yep. So that's what was the idea of it. And there was mutiny. There was a very clear, no, we don't want to do this exercise. And people clearly told me, no, we don't want to do it. And I'm like, what? They're like, no, nope. it makes us so uncomfortable saying no to other people. Wow. And I'm like, I was a bit shocked. And I let, it, I let them get away with it instead of challenging them on it. Mm. But I realized the word no is quite a, a difficult word this time and age. And especially in our industry, no has a bit of a, a way to it, especially in the way we train dogs or whatever. But that's not what I want to focus on. I want to focus on human-to-human interaction, Mm. and then maybe, you know, kind of like the flow-on effect from that onto our dogs. But to me, it was – I was amazed how anxious people were to say no to another person. And I didn't ask them to be aggressive about it. All I wanted to say is, no, don't approach me. Stop with your dog. It was not – you know how Tyler does the faith in owner drill, like with the dog, what's it called? Yeah. He has basically the dog – Owner with his dog approaching another person tells the other person to stop and then massively the, the approaching person backs off. It's not the same exercise, but it's along that concept and people didn't want to do it. Mm. So for me, that shows there is so much work to be done around this because how can you help a reactive dog to have trust in you if you can't say the word no confidently and with the level of assertion, right? Just the word no falls into the assertiveness category. And assertiveness is a topic that we as coaches and therapists see all the time. And we talked about burnout before. Mm. You have a much higher, in my opinion, a much higher burnout risk if you can't speak up for your own needs. Because if you can't say no, you are either being aggressive, like you are violating the other person's rights and you make sure that your needs are being met, or you're being passive, so the other person's needs are being met, but your needs are not being met. And if you are passive around it and you never get your needs met, you're going to end up in a burnout because you will always overshoot your resources Mm. and you will lose the the level of who you are. You don't know who you are. If you don't know what your boundaries are, how would you know what's authentic and not? 
Could you imagine a world where just say no to drugs wasn't allowed to happen because you shouldn't say no? Can you imagine a world where women's rights weren't being treated well because you weren't allowed to say no to a man who was being sexually aggressive it's, towards you? It, it's horrible. It's, like, I mean, seriously, what's the problem? I mean, people should be allowed to say yes, no to things that they healthy. disapprove of. It is healthy, it's and healthy. it's. I mean, and it's again when we're talking about the spectrum of balance, it does bring balance into play because. I don't have a problem saying no. I used to. I did used to. And funnily enough, without sounding like a broken record, I'm actually talking about that in my book, why I didn't feel comfortable saying no earlier. I mean, look, to be honest, when I was a kid, I was very intimidated by a lot of things. Yes, and that's what we're going to talk about. There are reasons why people don't want yeah, to say yeah, no. Yeah. There are consequences Well, usually. I'm not going to jump the gun on you. Yes. But yeah, it's. I find it incredibly important and very comforting to say no to people when I'm not happy with things. And it was, uh, I always felt very silenced as a young fellow, but mm. now when I don't like something, I'm quite happy to say, no, I'm not doing it. Yeah. I don't want to do it. One of the things for me, I guess, Bertie, is that I don't feel like I need to fit in with the in crowd. I'm quite happy with being by myself. Mm. I like being with people. I like being social. I like being, you know, it's nice to be loved and it's nice to be appreciated. I enjoy all of those things, but I also enjoy time by myself as well. And that means time by myself, not with Narelle, not with anybody. I'm okay with that. I don't see that as being a problem. I don't see it as... I don't feel like I'm being a social misfit by that. If I don't feel like going out or doing something, I'm quite happy to say, no, I'd rather not. When some of the guys are going on motorbike rides, if the weather looks shit, I might just say, no, I'm not going. And I'll say, you know, come on and put a little bit of peer group pressure on me to try and coax me out. And I'll say, no. And I stand firm on that. I'm, I'm quite happy with saying no and having my reasons why or just no. feeling comfortable in saying no. Yeah, and I think that is so important because – being able to say no is a skill and you need to practice that skill. And because in the end, at the end of the day, assertiveness is a communication style, right? Mm. It's being able to express your feelings, your thoughts, your beliefs and, and, and opinions in a manner that doesn't violate your rights or other rights. It's just how it is, right? It takes experience and practice. So very often we know that when a person has not used the word no, they will overshoot it. They will either communicate too often or with a too harsh tone. It takes practice to find the right level of being heard. But I think it's so important that people really realize being able to say no is a fundamental skill to have in life. Mm. There's nothing shameful about it. There's nothing to be guilty about it. It's what you will need to be mentally and physically okay. Yeah, and I don't think people need to be so offended when they hear somebody saying no either. I mean, you can say no with a smile. You don't have to say, as you pointed out before, it doesn't have to be something said in aggression. And it often isn't. It's just an alternate to the question that was being asked. Yes. And, and uh, that's what I thought about. I'm, when I prepared it, I thought I should tell people what assertiveness skills actually look like, how mm. they feel like. Definitely. Because I think people misunderstand that being assertive usually doesn't have a negative consequence. It's just how it is. It's yep. just neutral. So when you communicate your feelings, your thoughts and beliefs in an open and honest manner, that's when you are assertive. You know, this is just what it is. Mm. And it has certain verbal characteristics. So, for instance, when you're assertive in a good way, like when you're right in the middle between getting your own meets met and the other not being aggressive, your voice is firm but relaxed. You speak fluently, don't have many hesitations. It's a steady, even pace. Your tone is middle range, rich and warm, you're sincere and clear, 
it's not too loud, it's not too quiet, it's just normal. You use I statements like I like, I want, or I don't like. You use positive needs, what you would like. You are cooperative. You are empathetic. You make suggestions. Like you're trying to work on a compromise if, if, if it's not easy. And you try to be constructive with your feedback. If someone says, oh, I can't do that, I can't accept what you're wanting. Because when you're assertive, that doesn't mean that you get your needs always met. Mm. You know, that's the difference. If you're aggressive, you at all costs get your needs met. When you're assertive, sometimes it's a compromise. But it's about trying. It's being a team player at the same time. Yep. Um, and it, there's a willingness to explore other solutions. But it's about, I want to get my needs met and I'm going to respect yours. Mm. And you try to be a receptive listener. You try to have eye contact. You're quite open. You can even smile when you're assertive. There's nothing wrong with that. And you're quite relaxed. And your thinking style, like your mindset is really, I won't, I won't let you take advantage of me, but I want to attack you for being different. Like I won't, be a, I won't be attacking you for who you are. We all want to get our needs met. But it doesn't mean I have to compromise on what I need. I think that's one of the facts of life is that most organisms – want what's best for them and it's not an unusual concept i mean being a human we're we're slightly different because i think humans can be benevolent mm. um humans be, can be quite wicked and evil in a lot of yeah. ways but we can be very benevolent and kind and supportive and put others first but at the end of the day there's a lot of times where humans can be very I'll give an example of what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of times where people do nice things for other people, but they've got a camera running so they can show social media what they're doing. So I think that even though what they're suggesting was a nice thing, it was gratitude for them. They wanted to be seen in the light of being a wonderful person and I'm doing great things for other people. Why did there need to be a camera in the room when they were giving people handouts or support or money or anything like that like if you really were doing it for genuine reasons wouldn't you want it so other people didn't have to pat you on the back and tell you what a great person you are like do you understand what i'm saying am yeah, I, am it, I does it come back to true altruism doesn't exist because you always get the payout from it like you mm. know like you every time when you do something nice you get paid at the same time because you know human connection is what motivates us most of the time it's a core basic need yeah and yeah and and it's true like you know, this is why you also have to say no. And I think very often we are given double messages. But when I say no and I can be kind about it, I mean no. Mm. You know, this is no, this is a boundary, right? And there's, there are lots of myths around that. Like I, when I talk to my clients in the coaching processes, I very often am surprised what myth they have around the word no and having a boundary. So very often they feel like, Generally, that being assertive is a way of being aggressive because that's how they've learned it as a kid because it was overused. That wasn't assertive. That was being aggressive. Yep. Or they think, oh, if I'm assertive, I always get what I want. No, you don't. You can try and you can have boundaries and you should be able to get to a process where your needs are being met, but maybe you have to make a compromise. Mm. The other myth that very often people have is that I have to be assertive in every situation. No, that's not true. Sometimes it's a give and a take. But for instance, with certain clients, I'm very willing to have a compromise. But with certain clients, I have to have very clear boundaries around 
when they can approach me, how long my sessions go or how quickly I reply to my emails because my, they might have unrealistic expectations. And we talked about in, you talked about in the podcast about expectations from clients, right? So you have to have a boundary about mm. that and have to manage it. Otherwise, you're going to drive yourself mad. Um, so being assertive about the way you work or your framework is not aggressive. That's just a way of being okay. Yep. Being in sales, it's a... Uh it's a common thing and I've seen it memed quite a few times on social media is that another way of looking at the word no is next opportunity. So when somebody says no to you, move on. It's time to look at the next opportunity. And sometimes no is no for that day. It's not It's not no permanently. Yeah. There could be people who say when they say no to you, they might say no, period. Okay. So that's the end of the discussion. I'm not willing to open up that topic anymore. Yeah, and I think that's okay. Like, we are not there to accommodate the needs for everyone. Correct. Like, I think what I've learned, because I I did burn out, not just once, um, is that the more specific I am who my clients are, the better I will be. So I turn away a lot of people usually. Like, my selection process is pretty strong. Mm. Like, I'm very specific. I'm, I'm really – I found out over the years what I enjoy doing, what I'm good in, what fits my daily structure, what fits my family. And then I don't, I don't hold a grudge going to work because I have an environment that I'm agreeing to and that I want to be in. So I don't feel being taken advantage of and therefore I'm not a victim of my own – um, environment because I'm setting the tone. That's one thing, one of the many things I love about you, Bertie, is that you don't set this picture of I'm an iconic person of perfection. You talk about your vulnerabilities. You talk about things that have affected you. You're open and empathetic for other people to notice that about you. And I think that's wonderful because... I'm going to walk out with a massive head well, no, let, let me tell, let me Let me say, because I think unless you understand these things and it's not always the case it doesn't have to be this case every single time but I feel like unless you have experience in it you can talk about it but you don't understand it and again it was like to drag this old bugbear out it's like having depression having depression and talking about what depression is is two entirely different yeah, things. They're different things they're entirely different things and I only knew that when I actually had depression was what it actually is and how it feels and mm. how it how it brings you down but that was also what I have to understand about that that was only my depression it wasn't the same as everybody else's because there are varying levels of it's like Dante's seven rings of hell or whatever <laughs> it is you know it's some people experience with such deep lows that they almost feel like they're completely incapable of doing anything. Well, I mean, to a degree, I was I was functioning when I had it, where other people don't function well. There are so levels I, of depression. That's yeah. right. There are levels of it. And I can't say that what I had was exactly like what anybody else has. And that's what I see. That, and again, that's what I like about what you portray is that you don't come in saying, you know, look at me, I've never had anything wrong with me. You talk about things that have impacted you, things that have rocked your world since you've been a child and so forth. And I like that because it's relatable. You actually appear as a human being to people rather than just, I've spoken to people before, not only for myself, but just out of general interest. And they're very detached from real life because they want to be seen as this figure. And I don't know how all therapy should work. I don't know how all um, feedback should work, but some of it feels very unreal to me. It feels very 
distant and very cold and very uncaring. Whereas I find that if people have somebody that they can actually reach out to and make a physical connection with them, that at least you have something to hang on to. I think, you know, this is, it's so interesting that you mentioned this. I think you have to be the person who you are. Mm. I can't do therapy or I can't do coaching in a different way. That's just how I am. But it does have consequences. So, for instance, three years ago, I had to accept I can't see as many coaching clients or therapy clients as my colleague because I am just present in the room. Like, I'm just who I am, right? But my friends can see 30 people a week. I can't do that. I can only work part-time. Yeah. But that's okay, because you just need, that's what I mean. with Because you've learned to say no, right? Yes, you had to say no and you had mm. to learn to not feel guilty about getting your needs met. Yep. Like, okay, so maybe my structure of business is very different. Yes, maybe my intake might be different, but that doesn't make it worse. It's just how it is. Mm. And a lot of people like that. Like my, it's really interesting. My dropout um, criteria for the clinic for my practice is very low because we have a pre-selection process. So people usually stick around. So I have a lot of different problems than other therapists have. And I think that's that's what I want to say. Saying no usually brings vitality. If you can't say no in your life, you will you will corner yourself. You will it won't end well. Like mm. if you we need to learn to say no in a assertive way so that our needs are being met, but also other people don't feel threatened by it. It's this compromise thing. But don't feel that when you say no, something bad will happen. Mm. Because what a lot of people do these days is when a request comes to them, and I think that's, again, with the dog industry very often when they run a business, is they accommodate people really quickly. Like they they are really worried that the business will dry up if they don't say yes. And I understand if you have a new business, then it might be a bit of a different time. But overall, you will have to learn to say no, because if you accommodate everyone, you, you will be tired all mm. the time. Your family will not know who you are. You won't have time for your friends. You won't have time for your personal leisures. You, you will become very one-sided. And I think it's so important that what we all also very often see, if a person has neglected their own needs over and over and over, they start avoiding their work. Like for me, it's, I learned that for me, it's always a sign of how many emails do I avoid at the end of the day, how tired I am. Yep. Am I avoiding my work? Um in, in, in the work I do, there are techniques that are taking more energy than other techniques. Am I avoiding the hard work? So for me, that's always a measurement to see, hey, am I tired? Am I, can I still engage or not? Or how do I relate to my husband? You know, am I really nice to my customers and they get everything and I come home and I have a short fuse with my family it's because there I need to get my needs met, you know? Like, yep. like I think that's if you have a partner, it's always good to talk to them. Hey, do you feel like still I take care of our relationship? Because mm. it's so easy to go like business is fun. It's very rewarding. You know, it's your passion. But if that's your only goal and you neglect all the other areas in your life, then you corner it. So you need to say no because your life is more than just work. I love it. <laughs> yeah. It took me so long to learn that I wish I was a faster <laughs> student in this. Um, but, um, can, can I tell you a funny story? Sure. <laughs> I actually say no a lot to clients who instantly want me to see them and their dog. And there's just some times where I can't do it. Whereas before I used to do it quite a lot. I'd, I'd try and book it in even at my own demise where I was physically depleted from doing everything I have to do around here. And it's a funny industry, the, the dog industry sometimes. I think people, there's very much a need to want to be the most popular or the most loved or the most appreciated or the, or the mm. busiest trainer that people just are 
almost obsessed with having to be seen all the time. But I've learned to say no to a, to a lot of people if I can't do it or if, or sometimes if I don't want to do it. If I don't want to do it, I'm doing the same thing now. I say no. One of my, one of my trainers, Jess, she was booking a lesson in for me the other day because it is a problem dog. It's a, an aggressive dog issue. And the lady said, oh, you know, like if Glenn can see me, I'll do any day that he can he can see me. And I said, I'll do it this Friday. So it was going to be today. And she said, oh, I can't do it Friday. <laughs> and Jess goes, listen, lady, trying to get a lesson with Glenn. She said, let me put it this way. It would be easier to see the prime minister than getting a lesson with Glenn. <laughs> she said, you better make sure that the next time he gives you a time slot that you take it. Otherwise, it's not going to happen. Now, I'm not trying to be exclusive or elusive to people. I don't want people to think I'm rude or anything like that. But, you know, like I've got a lot on. And if I do make time with people, it's because... I'm genuinely trying to fit them in and, and get things to happen. But I just found that really funny that Jess nice. said that because she's let me read the email and, yeah, I kind of laughed at it. I thought that was funny. It was very cute. But it, but I think it's also so good and I think it's it's also so important how we do manage our time. Especially You've got to. You, you, ha- have you to. must. You must. You must. Make, yeah. And I think if – I mean, some people are in a position that they have a receptionist or a, or a co-worker who helps them with. But if you take your own calls and your own payments – I'd highly encourage you that you have certain times of the day where you only check that. If you are slave to your phone, mm. you're going to be so drained. Like you, you're going to feel like the business is running you, but the idea of a business is that you're running the business. Mm. So even as a psychologist who gets very critical calls sometimes, I only check my phone three times a day. You know, I tell people this is what's going to happen, but I'm I'm not there. I, I, I don't even check my business from, from Friday 3 o'clock till Monday morning yep. because I'm like out of business. That's yep. just how it is. That's what my family needs for me to be okay. Yep. So I encourage And that's when you, you need your time. Yes. Yeah. I need a lot of downtime too. Yep. So I think it's really important that people, if they feel like they have a risk to burn out, and please listen, I was such a slow learner. I've been told this, but please listen. <laughs> Set your boundaries how you want your business to run in the long term so that you set the right expectations for your customers. Mm. And believe me, people can handle it. They they can wait. It's okay to let people wait so that you are okay because if you can run your business only for one or two years because you're going to be so tired afterwards, that's not – that's not vitality. This is where authenticity comes into it, don't you agree? I think that if – if you're telling people where and how and why, then I already made you like, don't you agree? <laughs> that was very narcissistic. But I think if you're with your authenticity, I think if you say to people, this is how it's going to be because X, Y, and Z, like you explain why you can't do it, then people accept it more rather than just being evasive. Yeah, I don't uh, sometimes even expe- explain it. I just say, this is how it is. Yeah. And, and if they say, oh, I'm like, yeah, I have a private life too. So, so, but you need to know that those boundaries are like a good business educates their customer so mm. it suits your needs. Yep. And it works um, because you have to think about long-term pers- prosperity in the end. You know, it's easy to run a business for six months and then that's why a lot of small businesses don't last because you run yourself into the ground too quickly. Yep. So give us an example of how you would say no to somebody. How would that look? For what topic? Well, let's say, for example, somebody wanted to book a, a therapy session in with you. And okay. You're, and you're already busy. Okay. Yeah. You had a lot on your plate and you had a very demanding person who felt that they should be considered a priority. 
Yeah. Happens twice a day. Yeah. It Very common. I know what it's like. I get the happens same sort of thing. Common. So for you, let's say, for example, okay, I'm the person and, yep. I, and I come to you and I say, Bertie, I'm, you know, like I'm struggling. I really need someone to speak to right now, but it needs to be this week because next week is a nightmare for me. I've got kids sports yep. and everything I've got to go on and it would just be totally impractical to my life to yep. see you next week. And I've got Friday free and Friday's really good for me at about two to three time slot would work perfectly for yep. me. Wow, have- Glenn, you have a lot on. Mm. Like you really have a lot on. I can see that you're really stressed right now. Wow. Thank you so much for being curious about what I do and wanting to work with me. I really hear you. Life is really full on. But I'm just having a look at my diary. The earliest I can give you is the 5th of May on a Wednesday at 4 o'clock. Oh, you can't do anything sooner than that? No. I'm sorry, Glenn. Really? No. But I'm I'm really struggling here. I'm really... I know. And, and I can see that I'm really sorry. I can give you contact of other people. But if you want to work with me who... You know, I'm very aware of your problems. I've heard them. I can really help you with this. That's the earliest I can do. I can pop you on a cancellation list, but it's quite unlikely. Well, something comes up. That's how it's going to be. There you go. And that's how it is. Yeah. Yep. So I give them an option. Like yeah, they don't need do. to hang around. Yeah. But if you want to work with me, that's how it's going to be. Yeah. And I like that, the idea of giving an option too. Yeah. I always uh, give an option. Like I'm like, I'm not desperate for you. Like I think it's really important that we understand that when people are given an option, they very often go like, oh, you're not desperate for that business. Mm. And that's okay. Like I hardly ever book a person in under four weeks. Most people have to wait a month to see me. Yep. And that's a good selection criteria for me because then I know they really want to work with me. They've done their homework. Yep. I get to see what I want to see. And that's okay. Mm. But if not, then we're not a good match anyway. Yeah. No, I agree. Well, I feel everything you said then was... Practically what I would suggest to people who want to do it. If I'm busy and I can't do it, I'll give them an alternative person to see. I don't like turning away business. I really don't. But if I can't do it and it's not working in line with the person, I'll give them alternate people that they can go and see and then they can take their choice. So they do as you suggested. They wait for it and they book the session in or they go and make alternate arrangements with somebody else who can give them what they want right there and then. Yeah, and because some businesses do specialize in that, like yep. some businesses are bigger than me. Mm. So there's not, it's not right and wrong. You just need to understand what type of business do you want to have. So I'm right after long-term clients than short and sweet clients. I want to have long-term clients. But that's okay. But I'm just saying it's really interesting what happens when you're not assertive because there's severe effects when you're not assertive, right? Mm. One of the common ones is that you have really low self-esteem because you're constantly ignoring your personal needs. Like if... If you're telling your body over and over, I don't matter, my emotions don't matter, that's a very, very clear path to mental health problems. Mm. Because your body has an alarm system. It wants to tell you, hey, you're tired, you're sad, you don't want to go to work constantly. Like it's not just a bad day. It's not just Monday. It's constantly. The, the, the body tries to communicate with you. Yep. So you need to listen. And mm. if you constantly ignore that and constantly give up on that, you're self-sacrificing yourself. Mm. And I know we all need to, like contractors or small business owners, we need to be smart about our business, but you need to see it in a long term. If you are mentally unwell, you won't do good work anyway. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I agree with that, which is why people more frequently take what's called a personal health day or a personal day. Yeah. And I've had staff that have rang me up or sent me a message just saying, hey, look, I really need a personal day today. And rather than fight them on it or try and make them explain themselves, just, yep, no worries. Let me know when you're ready to head back in. And usually just a day off just to 
lie in bed and watch Netflix or go shopping or have a massage or whatever they want to do, play with their dog. Hopefully that gives them the ability to recenter and focus back on their work. Because you're right, Bertie, I totally agree. You can't be your best self when you're already depleted. When you feel at half mast, there's no point in, in trying to push yourself through it because more than often it makes you feel worse. It is. And I think, you know, especially working with dogs, dogs understand when we send a double message. And I think that's why so many dog owners very often struggle with their dogs. Because if you say no to the dog, whatever me- whatever training method you use, if you want a dog to not do something, doesn't matter what type of consequence you choose. The dog knows, do you mean it or can I can I play you on that? You know, like we very often see in, in, in obedience classes, double messages, the person says the word no, but the body language doesn't say no. That's right. The intent doesn't mm. say no. And very often they're too, too tired to do it or they just follow protocol. So you really need to be aware that you don't send double messages. You always, I always say, have attention to your intention. The dog probably will react more to the energy, the emotional transmission of the word no than the word no. Yeah. So very important for dog owners and trainers. Well, the other thing that's a little bugbear of mine is that people are being encouraged not to say no to their dog. Well, that's see, I am as a psychologist have to train people to say no because it's a universal law to know you need to say no to be emotionally well yep. because it relieves anxiety. If you have a kid, you need to give the kid structure, what's, what is expected of you, what not. Mm. It clears the head. Yep. Like, so much less responsibility. Dog Luna, right? Once I introduced the word no because I started off as positive only, she was so confused because she wasn't socialized. She had, felt like she had to figure the world out by herself. But if I say, no, that's not accepted, she's like, okay, not accepted, easy, mm. moving forward. It's healthy. It is. And, I mean, our close personal friend, Dr. Geordie Peterson. Geordie <laughs> Geordie, that's how, that's how close and personal he's got. We've redubbed him. Even Robert Sapolsky is Bob Sapolsky now. Yeah. <laughs> Anyone who's got the shortlist is uh, part of the close personal family group now, so they get a nickname. Bobby Sapolsky, <laughs> Geordie Peterson. But, <laughs> but um, Uncle Jordan often talks about, well, in his book and often in YouTube clips that he's put out, he talks about the relative need for parents not to be children's best friends but to be their guide in life. Yes. To give them structure. Yes. And to teach them yes and no. Yes. We call that in so as a coach you have to have the two tools that we constantly have to use and they're not necessarily the most good feeling tools because you know there's a consequence, but they're called limit setting mm. and empathetic confrontation. And you know, we very often have to set limits with people. And that is so that they have a better quality of life. Like this is what we are by all the mental health organizations are allowed to do and need to do because that's just life, you know, and you need to know your limits. You need to know what's accepted or not. You have to have the ability that you can deliver the message to the level that the person can hear it, like so that you know the right amount of force or the right amount of language. Like I'm very receptive to feedback. I don't need to be yelled at to be understood. Mm. I'm quite sensitive. But some people might need to hear in the stronger words, right? So you have to learn to deliver your message as well, to read your your dog, your human. But limit setting is normal. It needs to happen. It's healthy. Yeah. Um, and I think this is it's so fascinating to understand why we become unassertive. Like I've I've spent over the last few days, I'm like, we are born as babies. Babies are assertive. They cry when they're hungry. Mm. So how do we get how do we lose that, right? Like like the literature is very clear that we are born assertive so 
unassertiveness is a learned style of behavior and thinking. So that's when the environment comes into it, right? So when babies are hungry, they cry, and then, then they gradually adapt the behavior to fit in with the response from the family and, and their parents. And so, for instance, if your family or your peer group dealt with, with conflict by yelling at you or making you feel guilty or argue with you, then you have maybe have learned to avoid conflict because it had a really negative consequence. Or if your family taught you that you should always please others before yourself, then you might find it hard to be assertive about your needs because it would have been you would have been guilt-tripped afterwards again. Or maybe they your family believes that you should never should express negative emotions or discomfort and that you that they ridiculed you or ignored you, right? So they all of a sudden their message is, hey, your needs are not important, or this is how you deal with them by avoiding them or putting other people's first. Mm. And I think that's so important that we know we are born assertive. Dogs are assertive creatures. Like if you if you see a mum playing with their pups, she is very assertive and teaches a good mum teaches yeah. boundaries, right? Mm. And I can see that when Luna went to the daycare, she was the reason why she did so well was because she was paired with a really good adult dog mm. and she showed her that's accepted, that's not accepted. And she could relax. She's like, oh, I don't need to figure it out. Dogs are very adept at operant learning from a very young age. Yes. Because they're taught well by their parents who guide them. Yes. Yeah. And so does nature effectively. Nature teaches you that there is no fluff and mollycoddling in nature. It's either you learn to thrive and survive or you die. It has, yeah, it has consequences. It has consequences. Life has consequences. Like if you don't want to... Um, there's always a negative consequence. And usually when people mm. come to see me, the consequences will be severe. Yep. You know, th- this is not a joke at this stage. So if you're listening to this podcast and you go like, well, for me saying no is a really difficult thing, then maybe think about, well, how did you learn to handle conflict at home? Like what made it so difficult for you? Mm. You know, what do you feel like when you say no? What is your worry? Do you feel like you get rejected, that you're not being loved anymore, that people don't care about you, that you mean, that you that you stand out, that you lose connection? Is it that you feel like you're being a bully? And I really encourage you to acknowledge assertiveness is a skill. So assess why can't you do it? Is it because you haven't practiced it? Is it the beliefs you have around it? Do you feel stressed or anxious around it? And then practice it. Start with small situations, just go into it. And then you start learning, hey, what intensity do I need to speak in? How loud should my language be? What words do I use? Mm. You know, that you really learn that right balance between being passive where your needs are not being met or where you really regret where other people's needs are being met. Sorry, passive where other people's needs are being met, but you're not yours. Or sometimes at the beginning, you might be a bit too aggressive because you have to learn to fine tune it till you're in the middle. Assertiveness is the compromise in the middle. Nice. I guess the other side of that spectrum is how would you feel if you didn't say no? So most people feel better when they don't say no. So, wow. Yeah, because they get this relief of avoidance, right? Okay. Yeah, so, that makes sense. So if they brought yeah. up- As we see it in dogs. We, yes. Yep. If they brought up that, hey- It's a sense of reward. Yeah, there's a sense mm. of reward. And then it gets worse and worse. But the long-term effect is that you have no picture of what your own needs are, that mm. you- have low self-worth, you know, you, you you don't even know how to ask for your needs being met. You maybe attract people who really take advantage of you because you always give, 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 give. Mm. Then you get cornered. So initially you might feel good about it. And I'm pretty sure that if you are a person that doesn't like to say no and you start saying no, you will be anxious. Yep. 
you will be. But that is normal. That's called neuroplasticity. Yep. You know, you, your brain is just going for the most efficient way. If that's how you, you and your family have dealt with this, creating new neurological pathways is more work, makes you uncomfortable. But being uncomfortable is not a negative thing. No, stress, is, st- stress in the right levels, as we've talked about before, is a very important thing. Yes, chronic stress is the, is the key thing to look yeah. at. But we need stress. So I always tell people, don't judge life by discomfort. Mm. Judge life by, does it give you vitality? Are you flexible in your behaviors? Do you feel like your life is moving into a direction that you want it to move? Do you feel like you, you have a sense of of impact in your life? Do you feel like you have a bit of control in your life? If you feel like you are totally out of control in your life, look at assertiveness. Mm. Yeah. Very nice. It's well articulated. A huge topic. It is, isn't it? It's, it's a huge topic. And, and it just goes to show how deep-rooted it can be in people and they don't pay particular attention to it because, of, as you said, avoiding it is pleasurable. Like it gives them pleasure yes. to avoid. Not ultimately. That's the problem is ultimately it it's doesn't. It's immediate reward. Yeah, it's immediate reward but not long-term reward. Short-term reward but not long-term. Yes, mm. and I think that the difficulty that we also see is very often people who haven't gotten their needs met are also attracted to having a best friend in their dog. Yeah. You know, but then your dog will also need to hear no. And I'm, again, talking about the mistakes I made when I've got my dog from the pound. I am so disappointed in myself, but I thought I have to treat her really special and as a super vulnerable being. I would never do that to my clients. I would never have pity for any of my clients. Like I would always know, like, I know that we can work this out. Like there's help then we can work it out. But I had so much pity for my dog that's like, oh, you had such a tough life. Oh, my God, you know that I totally forgot, no, you need structure. You need to know what your boundaries are. You need to know those consequences because that gives you a picture of the world because you haven't been socialized. Mm. And that relieved her anxiety so much. And that wasn't a cruel approach at all. It was just like- Not at all. No. Mm. So, yeah. If you learn to be more assertive about your life, your dog will benefit. There was an old colleague of mine quite some time ago and I was in my 20s. And this was when I was struggling with my own concept of saying no to people. And we were actually coming to Sydney. We were leaving Melbourne, coming to Sydney for a seminar. Mm-hmm. Um, there were several of us in the – well, there were three of us in the car. And the colleague turned around to me. I don't. I can't remember what the topic was, but it was around the fact of offering to do something and not following through with it. And we were having a discussion around that. I think somebody asked me something or wanted to book something in with me. And I kept saying, yeah, but I was – I was skipping around on the appointment. And at that stage, my colleague turned around to me. He was driving and he turned around and he said, mate, can I give you some advice? I said, please. And he said, this will help you in life dramatically. He said, if you get this right, you'll feel at ease with a lot of things. I said, what's that? And he said, let your yes be a yes and your no be a no. Yes. And he said, then you will find that you are at peace with a lot of things. Now, I thought on that quite a lot over a series of years and- I'll give you one example. My grandfather wanted me to come down to his place one day and he lives like three hours away from me. And mm-hmm. back then I was I was also an electrician. So he wanted me to put ceiling fans in for him at his house. And he said, do you reckon you can do it? I didn't want to do it because of the distance and just the, the pressure I was under from work at that time. And I had very little spare time. I was working pretty much six days a week. And he wanted me to drive all the way down there. And, you know, like he kind of implied, if you love me, you'll do it, which was how my grandparents were kind of masters at that kind of, what do you call it? Emotional blackmail. Mm. 
And I felt really obliged to do it, but I didn't want to do it. But I kept mucking him around on the date and I could see him getting angrier and angrier and angrier about it. So one day, even though I was quite anxious about it and I didn't want to say it, uh, he sat down and he said, mate, can we do these fans or not? And I said, granddad, I can't do it. Mm. I'm sorry. I'm just going to have to say no. But I said, I can point you at a colleague. And he, he got upset because he wanted me to do it. Obviously, he wanted me to do it for free. And I said, I've got a colleague down there. I can put him in touch with yeah. you. He lives 15 minutes away from you. He'll look after you on price. I said, I'll buy the fan for you as a gift, but I'll get him to put it in and he'll do it very cheap. And I said, I just like it. I said, it's just going to take a lot of time out and I don't have time at the moment. And he kind of, he, he got up in a, in a half and he walked off. When I, after I got my colleague to, to do it, I think my mum had words with him as well, but he rang me up and he said, look, I'm sorry that, you know, I was like that, you know, and I kind of thought you're smug old bastard at the time, you know, like I was pretty cranky with the way he handled it, but at least I appreciated that he went away and thought about it, but it actually gave me relief to say no to him yes. finally, like to get it off my chest and finally say no. He was where I cut my teeth on it. He was the person that gave me the ability to say no because he was the person I was most afraid of saying no to at the time. And once I did it, the the empowerment I felt, the incredible relief that I felt to be able to say no, to be able to commit to that no. I mean, I can say it easily now if I don't want to do things. Dave, the guy I work for, one of my best mates, fantastic guy. If Dave asked me to do something and I don't want to do it, I just say no. And Dave's fine with that. He knows that when I say no to something, it's not because I'm being difficult or I'm just being precious or I'm being aloof or whatever. It has power. Well, he understands that I I actually, I've thought about it and I can't do it and the impact on me. And even David sometimes will say no for me. Like if somebody wants me to do something and David knows that it's going to impact me too much because of my workflow, David will say, he can't do it. He's too busy. He's doing a heap of things for me at the moment. And I appreciate that immensely mm. because rather than him saying, yeah, he'll, he'll be right, just throw that on his plate as well, he will turn around and he will say no for me. And I appreciate that other people do that. But, I mean, you still need to have the ability to do it for yourself, you to say it to. for yourself. And I think it's really important what I should maybe also mention is that if you have been a yes-sayer or a self-sacrificer and you haven't said no, people at the beginning will be a bit taken back by that because they had a good deal. You know, yeah. if you have a yes say in your life, it's a pretty sweet deal. So don't take that as a negative. Prepare yourself that if you say no, people might make you a bit uncomfortable. Mm. But that's not a bad thing. That's just them having to adjust essentially and to stick with it. You know, like once you, your intention has to stay, once you say it, like you said, yes is yes, no is no, you need to follow up because mm. otherwise it turns up to be really confusing. So once you go in, stick with it. Let your yes be a yes and your yes. no be a no. Have you seen the movie Yes Man with Jim Carrey? Is that the one where he has to say yes to life? That's the one. Yeah, it's been ages. can't remember much. Yeah. It's an interesting movie to watch and it's got a good ending in it. Well, I'm going to give it away. But <laughs> effectively, like he has to say yes to everything. But in the end, he learns that he can also say no. Yes. I, because I was once given the advice, always say yes to life. And I'm like, if I say yes to life, I will be dead really soon because I've already said yes too much in my life. Like I'm a person that says too much yes and not enough no. So I really had to work on that for burnout prevention. Hmm. And I think that's the message is it's not bad. You're allowed to say no. Bo- both things in moderation are essential and they can make life complete and very pleasurable. But 
one over-empowering the other one can have complications, in my experience. Yes. Mm. You'd lose a real sense of self. You do. Mm. Great talk. It was a great talk. I really Thank enjoyed you. it. Yeah, it was almost therapy for me. Thanks, Bertie. <laughs> great. I, lo- I always love coming here because it's so nice to bounce off things. Mm. Learn a lot too. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that's it for another episode of The Canine Paradigm. If you like what you heard, please like, rate, and share. And remember, if you want to support the show, you can do that on Patreon. For as little as $3 a month, you can help support the show. If you want extra content, we've got different tiers, $10 or $20. The different tiers get you, obviously, access to different levels and accessibility. But other than that, thank you once again to our special guest, Bertie, co-host of the show, Bertie Oshidi. Considering Pat's still away, you're going to be my co-host on the next one as well. So yeah, buckle I, up, people, and get ready for the Bertie Express. Thank you. And I, Pat told me I have to cue the music or something, like you told me. Clint, cue the music. Cue the music.